Hi everyone, my name is Nick Duncan. In this episode, we speak to Alicia Carney, who joined us from London. Alicia is currently working as a product marketer for a leading online delivery company in the UK. Alicia has had the experience of working for major brands such as Jawbone, Kayako, and Tally. Alicia has over eight years experience in B2B and B2C product marketing, and is passionate about helping benefit corporations and small businesses. In this episode, we harness Alicia's deep understanding of product marketing as we first identify what product marketing is. I don't think I've ever talked to someone uh, in terms of new colleagues who knew exactly what the role was. Um, And so that is both a huge opportunity for product marketers to carve their own path. The top three things a small business owner should focus on in product marketing. The PMM should be synonymous with the voice of the customer, both from a qualitative and quantitative perspective. The understanding of differentiation versus distinctiveness. I can tell you that companies that are two people sitting in a WeWork office up to thousands of you know employees globally are thinking about this exactly the same way. And the future of product marketing in general. I hope for product marketing to be more commonplace and more mainstream in in tech startups. It's usually, I'm usually the first hire. Without any more delay, let's dive right in. You're listening to the Bleeper Podcast. Bleeper, a customer communication tool specifically designed for small business. Find out more on bleeper.io. Hey Alicia, welcome to the Bleeper Show. Uh, we're we're really excited to have you on board today because we're kind of knee deep in product marketing ourselves at the moment. So we'll probably be taking on some of the advice that that you have to give. And um, maybe you can just start off by saying, you know, who you are and tell us a little bit about your career and how you managed to find yourself in a product marketing role. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Alicia. I'm originally from San Francisco. I was born and raised in the Bay Area and um, kind of, I actually got a degree in ecotourism and then by kind of consequence of living in San Francisco, uh, fell into startups um, and kind of started working my way up from marketing roles. Mm-hmm. And they just I kind of happened to fall into the area of early stage bootstrap startups. And so... I, it was kind of lucky. I, I learned how to build marketing teams uh, from the ground up with no budget. Um, I kind of learned and got to observe how marketing was treated um, across different core business functions, such as engineering and sales and C-levels, and then kind of apply my own uh, understanding of how I thought that could be elevated to a different level. And that kind of evolved into my product marketing role. So I worked for several kind of early stage startups in San Francisco, honestly got a bit burnt out, quit (laughs) rather uh, kind of impulsively, went to go work at a winery in France, which I know sounds very like eat, pray, love, but it was, and it was amazing. (laughs) And then um, really just wanted to expand into something that felt a bit more scary and a bit more um, challenging. And so that's how I wound up in, in London doing product. Well, that's, that sounds like a really amazing story. Okay. And uh, for the benefit of our, our new founders and, and small businesses out there, what exactly is product marketing? That's a really good question. And one that um, a lot of product marketers ask each other and themselves. Um, and that's because PMM in the startup space and the kind of even the medium sized um, tech space 
is a very uh, new concept. So I don't think I've ever talked to someone uh, in terms of new colleagues who knew exactly what the role was. Um, and so that is both a huge opportunity for product marketers to carve their own path, but also a huge opportunity or a huge risk, I should say, um, to, to kind of be misunderstood or be kind of reduced to menial work. So what PMM should be for small businesses is the glue that kind of brings these disparate stakeholders together. Um, so what you'll find, even if there's a team of 30 people, a company of 30 people or a company of 50 people or 150 people, um, you'll often find that people fall into a really siloed approach to work. Um, the, you know, engineering tends to mingle at best with product and sales at best with marketing. And there's really not much room for cross-functional collaboration, um, between those divides. And so a big piece of what PMM should be is, um, the glue that will kind of ask questions across those boundaries. And that's where you'll find a lot of really quick wins, um, in terms of your product direction, bringing bringing your your business to market, creating a brand, things like that. So product marketing is is glue, and we we aim to create scalable, kind of personalized customer experiences that drive um, growth and profit and satisfaction to the business. And that last one is usually brand new in terms of um, priority for for tech founders. Um, but you'll find that the earlier you focus on the satisfaction of your customers, uh, the the more it will pay off. Uh, by orders of magnitude over time. Okay, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that that sort of simplifies it in my head a little bit because I've been I've been running around in circles with with product marketing for the last couple of months, trying to wrap my head around it. You know, as a founder myself, I've I've had to I've had to dig deep and um, you know put aside other roles to to focus on on product marketing so much so that I found myself getting lost in it. Um, it's a it's a mm. vast it's a vast role. You know, with 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 a lot of things to to take into account, and you know, we eventually landed up hiring a a very senior product marketer, and that's taken a lot of a lot of weight off of my shoulders. And um, he's actually doing a lot of the work uh, that 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 you've just spoken about. And I, you know, I can I can appreciate the amount of work that goes into product marketing, which brings me to my next question. You know, considering that founders have a limited time and a lot to get done in in various realms of of marketing of operations of admin finance you know what are the top three things in product marketing that a small business owner should focus their time on that's a really good question and kind of goes back to my original point that it's very easy for product marketing to get um, pushed into a corner of admin or operations. And it's, it's really a, a waste. Mm. <laughs> it's so easy for product marketers to just become the person who does internal documentation or um, FA, you know, FAQs yes. or a list of objections for sales representatives. And that is um, a reductive form of the PMM role. And I would say the three most important buckets of PMM work uh, can be defined as, um, as as follows. So it's like the voice of the customer is a huge one. The PMM should be synonymous with the voice of the customer, both from a qualitative and quantitative perspective. Um, usually, if a company is thinking about incorporating their customer's feedback into their product roadmap, into their value messaging, into their brand, it usually skews 
more towards one or the other, quant or qualitative. But it's really like the complement of, of both um, that will help a PMM to be indistinguishable with that kind of in you know strategic conversations or just really any conversation. Sometimes I found that the most important projects that I've worked on have come from just owning that feedback, whether that's customer interviews or a survey that I've run, market research, user research, things like that. And be, having that knowledge and then, you know, sitting together at lunch with the VP of engineering and you happen to talk about, I don't know about if this is just me, but every company I've worked for, we've talked about the weirdest stuff at lunch. It's just, but that's a really good time to kind of represent the customer in, in a more informal way and just get people thinking about problems differently. So the first is voice the customer. The second is go to market. And that's the both strategy and kind of execution of uh, think, feel, do. So a PMM is on the hook for uh, impacting what the customer thinks and feels about the product, what actions they take in terms of adoption, um, and how are you going to reach those customers in terms of just knowing that it exists. It's kind of, uh, this might be contentious for product focused people, but it's, um, a bit of a fallacy that it, if you build it, they will come. Very much and so. I think that, yeah. And that story is told so often in like wired articles and TechCrunch mm. articles about this unicorn growth from building the right tool that has high product market fit. And I'm not saying it's not possible. It's of course it's possible, but it's not likely. Yes. And I think um, tech founders will benefit most from <laughs> not abandoning that dream, but being more pragmatic about how they can make it happen. And I think uh, a really uh, strong go-to-market strategy is the key to do that. Third and last in terms of the three things that product marketing um, can focus on in the early stages is going to be that kind of overall life cycle, the, the product education and the payoff to build a really thoughtful or well thought through um, life cycle of that customer. So what's the landing page content from when they first find you? What's the, if you have a B2B product or even some consumer products as well, what's that onboarding experience going to look like? Um, what, what, what is the immediate value that a customer needs to realize within the first, you know, three days or three hours? Um, if a PMM can help the customer to realize the value of the product, um, that is going to make them invaluable to the company overall. Okay, great. And where do you see the future of product marketing going? Um, I hope, I hope for product marketing to be more commonplace and more mainstream in, in tech startups. It's usually, I'm usually the first hire or the second hire, and we tend to be um, few and far between in the tech space. And I think founders would benefit from prioritizing that hire early on. Um, I, I think there is, you know, PMM product marketing does exist and has existed for decades in the more enterprise space, like the Microsofts, the, um, you know, all those old giants of Silicon Valley mm. that I tried so hard to get away from. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have had PMM roles for a long time, but the more I've interacted with uh, product marketers from Google and Facebook and the likes, um, I find that we actually do a, a bit of different work where, for early stage small small businesses and small startups, 
you have to have that scrappiness and that, um, that kind of eager eagerness to do everything. And so, um, and that's what, that's why I love, that's why SMBs are my passion. And so I, I'm hoping in the future, pr- the more modern interpretation of product marketing will be commonplace. Um, so it's not just an old kind of relic of the clunky ish. Oh, sorry. That's, that's probably rude, but like the more enterprise giants of Silicon Valley, everyone has their own strengths, but Okay, so in your day-to-day uh, product marketing role, what are your favorite tools that you use in order to get your job done? It's a bit of a cop-out, but mm. I live in Google Drive, Google products, and Google tools. Um, it's really nice to have a centralized place to share documentation, especially in a cross-functional role like product marketing, where you have people on the commercial side and engineers, and mm. you need to think through problems and strategies in a really collaborative way. Uh, Google Docs cannot be uh, underappreciated, <laughs> or, or they really should be appreciated. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, and then Looker is really great for analytics and insights, and of course, Google Analytics, um, which is, I guess, part of the former. Uh, really, really important just to have some minimal understanding of the data behind your product experience and your customer experience. I think there's a really great tool called Chattermill that I have been loving lately. It's kind of a, an AI approach to understanding customer sentiment. And it's so powerful that um, I, I really think they're, they're important. We, I've been using it a lot lately because even you know when you're collecting a lot of feedback as the product marketer from uh, commercial teams, from local markets, things like that, um, you still sometimes fall into the trap of really insular groupthink. And so when you have a tool like, like Chattermill, um, it's really great to get out of that and to kind of keep the system of checks and balances alive where you're like, okay, we think this, but actually we see our customer sentiment is relatively low. And so there's some, there's always more work to do. And that's a good kind of gut check. Um, and lastly, I am such a fan of HubSpot. I have probably been a kind of promoter and evangelist for, oh God, probably about 10 years now. I, I just think for SMBs, they are everything. They are email. They are, you know, your first dabble into segmentation. It's intelligent. You can do everything you want to do to personalize your brand and your voice um, for your, your prospective customers and your current customers to keep them around longer. Um, so even long years after I stopped being a HubSpot customer, um, I kept <laughs> kind of shouting about them and and talking to um, tech founders about you know why that would work for them. So definitely, if you're if you're looking for a way to engage with your your target audience, check out HubSpot. That's very interesting. Yeah, we, we're not even we're not even using HubSpot at this point. So I think you you pretty oh, much cool. sold me on on HubSpot. <laughs> and what what was that other one that you mentioned? Chatter. Uh, Chattermill. Chattermill. C H A T T E R M I L L. Chattermill. Yeah, we're going to have a look at that yeah. as well. Thanks, Alicia. Yeah, sure. You can put a little referral link in the <laughs> bio. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not a paid ad. <laughs> okay, and um, you know, I think I think we're all pretty much aware that product differentiation is becoming increasingly difficult as many competing products become more and more alike. Uh, this is something that, that, that we found over the years. You know, what would your advice be to, to small businesses battling to differentiate in the market? That's, 
I can tell you that companies that are two people sitting in a WeWork office up to thousands of, you know, employees globally are thinking about this exactly the same way. Markets are becoming so commoditized and so competitive in both the B2B and B2C spaces that I think this is becoming, I think this is more challenging today yes. than it ever has been. Um, and so there's a couple ways to look at it. The first is you look at your product experience. Um, and you say, you know, are we really fulfilling the promises that we're delivering, we're, we're selling in our value messaging? Are we really delivering the benefits that solve the pay, pain points that hopefully a PMM has identified? Um, and so that's your first check. But you cannot just say, you know, based on opinion, that has to be backed up with quantitative and qualitative feedback. And so this, I guess, is the roundabout way of saying a product marketer, if they're you know, doing all of those things that we talked about in terms of the three buckets of, of what should be prioritized, that can help you to find your product differentiation. So it's important for founders not to assess their product experience from their own point of view in their own testing, but to look to data and look to qualitative feedback to find out where that product experience is actually falling down, um, what, their, what opportunities there are to improve how can you focus on more lifetime um, customer value instead of just new acquisition of customers and things like that? So that's one one side of it is the product experience. And then this all kind of ties back again into sentiment score and NPS, which is net promoter score. How satisfied are your users with your product offering and what do they want more of? And I think it's also really important to... Um, Look at this from a brand perspective as well. Again, the if you build it, they will come narrative works to a certain extent and then it hits a ceiling and then it doesn't work anymore. And I think when you have a super competitive, saturated, um, competitive landscape, you have to have a really crystal clear and compelling competitive advantage. Um, and so I think it's, it's part of the role of a product marketer to, to help you figure out what that competitive advantage is with the power of data and, and telling quantitative stories that are informed by qualitative narrative. Mm, I'm with you. I'm with you, you know, and just based on, on, on my limited understanding of this, of this field, you know, a couple of books that I've read, a lot of, a lot of the commentary in, in those books is, you know, it gets to a point where differentiation becomes so incredibly difficult. And this is, I think this is more in the B2C market, but differentiation mm -hmm. becomes so incredibly uh, difficult that they start looking at, at, at distinctiveness rather than uh, actual product differentiation, which, which brings me to my next question, you know, in terms of, of branding a product, let's say a B2B product, what are your thoughts on, on distinctiveness? And building distinctive assets, you know, do you do you feel that they really pay off at the end of the day? Personally, I I really do. I think first the core of, of building distinctiveness is making sure that there actually is a connection between your brand and your product, which might sound really basic, but it's really easy to miss. One of my uh, my director of PMM is always saying, you know, when a rocket ship takes off, it's so important to be precise because if you're off by one angle of that rocket ship taking off, you'll end up miles off course down the road. And um, I think distinctiveness 
is very much in that same type of uh, uh, analogy. So, so yeah, I think a really good example here would be looking at Uber and Lyft, where um, you know some people love Uber for their brand and their product experiences. Some people love Lyft for it being kind of the opposite of that. And though, you know, depending on what city you're in, I guess they, they really are extremely similar product experiences, but it's the way that product connects to the brand and connects to the psychology of the human being that they're trying to go after. Um, and so I think, you know, in building distinctive assets, that product experience transfers through to the brand and that transfers through to your value messaging, your positioning, your creative assets that are either out of home or in digital spaces that are make the most sense for your target audience. So don't, you know, just go and create Facebook ads and Google AdWords campaigns and just dump a ton of money because that's what you heard at the latest marketing conference. You have to think really thoughtfully about who is your target customer? What is the behavior of their real lives and what are the real moments that you're trying to tap to, tap into? Um, and I think the distinctiveness of your brand will shine when you're actually targeting the right customer with the right message at the right time. That, that really, that, that sort of hits home a lot for us as well, because, you know, in, in, in our space, uh, differentiation is becoming incredibly difficult. Um, you know, we've got a couple of, of ideas up our sleeve, but, you know, to truly differentiate in this market is becoming, it's becoming one of those markets that uh, is going to, probably take a whole new technology to to actually differentiate yourself and you know it's getting to the point where distinctiveness is becoming the thing that that is being used um like you said you know it, it kind of needs to link back to the psychology of the person and how it makes sense to that individual or that persona and you know that that's really where we are at the moment is we're, we're trying to figure out who our personas are and, and what makes them tick and and try be be something to them that makes sense to them in a way that adds a lot of value, and it's it's not easy. It really isn't easy. And you know, let's just assume that we got all of that right, and we figured out our personas, and we figured out who we should be targeting and what our positioning is. If we have all of that right, what do you think the top advertising channels are? that should produce the best return on investment in general for, for B2B? For B2B, yeah. I was going to say this really depends on um, you know, B2B, B2C, is a mm. multi-sided marketplace. Um, where are we trying to focus on in the life cycle? Um, is this account-based marketing where you have a list of 10 or 20 or 30 um, accounts that you want to go after and that can build you know, 80% of your potential GMV? So it's kind of a difficult question to <laughs> to answer, um, and so I'm kind of hesitant to give mm. any advice because I don't want B to be found. It really depends. On, it depends on your vertical. It depends on your target customer. On the quality of your ads, I suppose, as well. Yep, totally. I think the most important thing is is don't think, you know, these channels are really hot right now. So I'm going to double down on performance marketing. You know, maybe that just completely doesn't make sense. Um, so I said, I think instead think about, do I understand the key moments and behaviors that influence awareness, consideration, and conversion? 
as well as retention and evangelism and that kind of um, promoter aspect of NPS. So what what channels? And yeah, don't focus on you know I need a strategy for social media channels mm. or um, that that this you know I read somewhere is going to be the most profitable um, investment in terms of marketing spend. I think that is almost looking at the question in a backwards way. Mm -hmm. I think um, the channels or tools that you have at your disposal should directly be a result of understanding the key moments of the life cycle in terms of what you're trying to influence. Um, so again, as you said, personas are, are really important because you need to build that real um, uh understanding of, mm. of who you're talking to on a human level. I think I went to a marketing conference several years ago in San Francisco where a guy got up on stage and said, um, you know, you, so you, you would get hired by these big tech companies to come in and help kind of consult on, on advertising. And <clears throat> he would mm. say, they say, you know, it's so difficult because my target customer, they're, they're doctors and they're, you know, these really technical professionals. So, you know, we don't know where to contact them. He's like, you don't, you don't think that a doctor, you know, wakes up and before they get out of bed, they check Facebook. Like, you, don't, you have to think about what actual moments are they as human beings yes. um, potentially engaging with your brand and your voice. And so, um, you know, I could probably give you the, the standard laundry list of advertising channels, whether that's out of home, but it's very difficult to, to mm -hmm. measure ROI on out of home. Um, the you know retargeting campaigns i i think retargeting campaigns are pretty good because you already know that they have clicked through to your your domain and that seems like <laughs> an easy first step to um targeting someone but i i would never say everyone should go out to you know create their first retargeting campaign and creative assets and, and things like that the first step is building a very clear understanding of the life cycle, the persona of your target customer, and then figuring out where are the moments and the behaviors that you need to influence awareness, consideration, and conversion. So there's literally no shortcuts in this. And that, that's what I found in, in product marketing. There's, there's no shortcuts. It's you have to do your homework. You have to sit down you have to figure this out. You have to interview customers or potential customers, and you have to do the, you, you pretty much have to get your hands dirty in, in, in sort of everything before you have a, a clear understanding of where you should be going. Absolutely. And I, I mean, this might be a little bit uh, maybe pedantic, but like I really believe that the tech companies and the startups who jump into it too quickly and just start doing kind of like a land grab for seeing, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall mm. and seeing what sticks, I think that is a huge missed opportunity. And by taking a little bit more time to, to carve out an explicit understanding of your target customer, the, the life cycle around them, and, and then building your marketing strategy with mm -hmm. that as the core nucleus of everything, that little bit of extra time, which really shouldn't be too much to have just scraped together like a really scrappy um, basic understanding that you can kind of inform over time and add quantitative and qualitative background and context over time. Mm. But that little bit of work really pays off um, because you could very well have an awesome product and be first to market and have huge, incredible success early on. But then when the market catches up to you, just like we were saying, it becomes really commoditized and super saturated and really competitive. If you don't 
have a key understanding of these things that are becoming increasingly more commonplace in, in the startup world. I know I said PMM is relatively unknown, but that is changing very quickly. Um, and so I think you, you just you have a huge opportunity um, and you, you don't necessarily have to listen to that advice, but I think you will always benefit from doing it. Alicia, thank you so much for all your insights and, and your advice. And, you know, just I think lastly, on a personal note, what does the future of Alicia look like? Where do you see yourself going in the next few years? Well, I mean, that's the exciting thing. I just never thought I'd end up in London a couple of years ago, and yet here I am. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I have a really strong passion for SMBs. Both my parents grew, you know, all through my childhood were both self-employed. Uh, and still are for about 40 years each. So okay. that's always been my end goal. So I think I would love to get back into consulting. There's a movement growing both in the US and in Europe uh, of B Corps, benefit corporations, mm -hmm. which is trying to kind of redefine success in business. Um, so some examples are Patagonia and Kickstarter, Warby Parker, Etsy, and they all um, have a proven kind of financial and social um proven performance um and, and i i think that consumers are increasingly caring about that and i think there are less and less boundaries between the politics of the day and age and uh and how we live our lives and the brands that we engage with so i would love to at some point get into consulting marketing and, and kind of product marketing marketing strategy consulting for kind of like-minded businesses along those lines that's awesome, Alicia. Well, you know, we, we wish you the best for everything that you do in the future. You are clearly very experienced in your field and uh, yeah, you've got a lot of advice and a lot of insight to, to give. And thank you for your time. And um, I'm sure our listeners gained quite a lot in, 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 this, in this episode. And we are, we are grateful to have you on our show. And thank you very much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. been listening to the bleeper podcast subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast software for more information please visit bleeper.io